Hi, you're listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. We're releasing our sermons so that no matter where you were Friday, you can enjoy a piece of Shabbat today. Welcome back, everybody. So I feel like if this happens one more time, then it's actually a a pattern or might even be halakha. Like uh, when things are falling apart or don't make sense, in Israel, I call Joel and I say, what the is going on? And he'll tell me, and then I'll say, are you free this Friday night? And can you share that with our community? <laughs> it's happened twice now. If it happens three times, then well, <laughs> something, something. Um, so um, Joel is the current managing director of the S. Daniel Abrahamson Center for Middle East Peace and um, was the former executive director of the Alliance for Middle East Peace, um, working with grassroots peace-building organizations, hundreds of grassroots peace-building organizations. And so um, he really speaks from a perspective that I know I cherish, which is not dehumanizing anybody involved in this interminable, painful conflict. So thank you so much for uh, helping us make sense of what was a pretty terrible week. Uh, Shabbat Shalom. Um, Thank you, Rabbi Lizzie. Uh, I hope all of you are well. And if you have family uh, in Israel or in the West Bank or in Gaza, I hope they're safe um, at an incredibly challenging time. Is the absence of violence the same as peace? If you remove the acute violence, the gunshots, the rockets, the rocks, do we have peace? For many, the answer is yes. If they don't see it, there isn't a problem. But for those who suffer from structural violence, it isn't peace. So if the absence of acute violence isn't peace, what is it? It's a possibility, it's an opportunity to deal with the underlying issues. This week in Israel and Palestine, we have seen the implosion of a structurally violent situation where hope was being removed from the situation. From the home dispossessions in Sheikh Jarrah to the clashes between Israeli security forces and worshippers on Al-Aqsa through the entire month of Ramadan, to a political situation in Israel where extremists who are defined as terrorists by our own very government were welcomed into the Knesset in order to try and change political calculuses. And into that moment and into that stress, it exploded. And it has exploded in Gaza, is exploded in mixed cities across Israel, has exploded in Jerusalem, and today, sadly, it has also exploded in the West Bank. So what do we do? Do we assume there's nothing that can be done except to tear down everything and start again? Do we look at the power asymmetry and decide to advocate for the least powerful and say, that's our job, we're done? The challenge, the long-term challenge that presents to all of us right now is how do you deal with an asymmetric power dynamic where there is a symmetry of fear and mistrust between the populations? It's a deeply difficult question. It's hard and it should make you uncomfortable, regardless of where you sit on this political spectrum. Because in that discomfort is where peace building lives. It's being uncomfortable. Peace building is not progressive. Peace is not a progressive value. Peace building is an activity. It's an opportunity to lose 
non-violently. Something you hold there. So does it just mean that peace building is pacification? Is it a delay forever in justice? When it's abused, yes. Some people will abuse the concept of peace building just to pacify. Say, just don't be violent and we'll talk about it and they never get there. But what peace building is at its heart is an opportunity to transform, to deal with the deeper structural violence at play by holding back acute violence to give us space to talk about the structural violence, to talk about the structural issues that are happening. The explosion in Gaza, the mixed cities in Jerusalem, now in the West Bank, it challenges each one of us. Have we done enough to build a resiliency against this violence? Did we go far enough to build a shared society to support those who were trying to do so? Did we humanize one another? Did we merely state the justice of our cause while quietly whispering, force is really the only language that the other understands? The shocking levels of violence we've seen this week, the intercommunal pogroms that Jews have committed against Arabs and Arabs have committed against Jews makes us believe that we are heading for this all along. But realistically, in fact, just two weeks ago in Israel, we were on the verge of a political breakthrough that we haven't seen since the days of Yitzhak Rabin, where an Israeli government was going to be formed reliant on Arab votes for the first time in over 20 years. It was within reach then to build a more opportunity, to build a more equitable society, including all voices. Was it quick enough? Did it address all the injustices of occupation, the inhumanity of what was happening in Gaza? No, but it was a start. As we call on leaders to get to an immediate ceasefire, and we then start the hard, long look at how we rebuild resiliency against violence, let us acknowledge that people's identities are whole. And even if we advocate for partition, realize that the green line, an armistice line from 1948, is irrelevant to the identity of the Palestinian people, and it's irrelevant to the religious Zionist community. We need to see the wholeness of each and meet people where they are, not where we hope they are. This week's Parsha is Parsha Bamidbar, and we start the new book of the Torah by counting how many of those there are. We count with the census. For many in our community, whether they are liberal Zionists, whether they are different types of Zionists, the concept of demography has been destiny. And people have used the concept that you need a Jewish majority on the land of Israel to argue for two states that was grounded in Jewish demographics. If there's one thing we've learned this week, the argument around demographics ensures that every child and every grandchild born into this conflict is another bullet in a war that will be fought and is an argument that must be retired. If you want to advocate for two states on the merits of compromise, on the limits of return to each so they can thrive, do it. But don't argue just on the basis of demographics. If you want to argue for a confederation for one state, do so on the basis of the lived reality of the humans who live there and realize whatever your solution, it cannot be imposed without the acquiescence of the populations themselves. As long as 75% of each population believes on a daily basis the other is out to kill them, there will be no peace and there will be no justice. With the roar of the rockets and the deafening sounds of the explosion stop, and we pray it will stop as soon as possible, we will be left with an angry, scared and broken population. They will be equally afraid of one another despite the power imbalance between them. As American Jews, we must decide our own role in what we wish to do and say. My hope for all of you is that you do what makes you uncomfortable 
and into a place where we recognize the humanity of each other and we struggle with the difficult challenge and join with those trying to build their communities up rather than tear their others down, finding ways to build the resilience against violence as it, stressed, as it is stress tested again and again in an unforgiving, unrelenting way. We pray for peace and we ask ourselves, what are we doing to ensure that the next generation doesn't hate each other? We owe them at least that much. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, tune in to Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishkan Chicago. Until then, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. As always, we want to hear from you. This episode has been brought to you by me, Zach Weinberg, our editor and producer, Hannah Rehack, our rabbinical team, Rabbis Lizzie Heideman and Dina Cowens, and our director of communications, Ashley Donahue. On behalf of Teen Mishkan, Thanks for tuning in.